Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, Jen Han. Good morning, online. Yes, uh, thank you for joining. Uh, whatnot. Um, just a couple of announcements before we get started. Uh, we do have our Bible study tonight. It is Super Bowl Sunday. People have been asking, are we still having Bible study tonight? Yes, we are at 6 o'clock. So we'll still be here. May the best team win between the Giants and the Chiefs. I mean, no, not Giants. Excuse me. Wrong, wrong message. Uh, uh, sorry, Giant fans. <laughs> but uh, anyway, 49ers and the uh, uh, Chiefs. Thank you. You can tell I don't watch football. So, uh, anyway, Kansas City and San Francisco uh, playing together. Um, anyway, uh, any, uh, so uh, we will have Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we have our Bible study every Saturday at 7.30 in uh, Pasadena. We had a great time last night. We still have our ongoing Bible classes, so we're always going, go at your own pace. We actually have some new sign-ups this week, uh, so uh, we are excited about that. So our website is lighthousediscipleship.org. This teaching is actually one of our classes, and I'm uploading every week as we have it. If you're part of our Bible classes, just simply, you you can watch it again if you want to. I upload it right after the service as soon as I can, and unless we're interrupted, it will be up as soon as possible. But go ahead and fill out a report, because uh, that way I can, I can just mark that you've taken the class. I know that you've taken it, but just I carried your feedback uh, if you have it, if you have any. But at same point in time, uh, they're uploaded and they'll be part of our class. If you sign up for LEOs, uh, our Bible classes, you automatically are, uh, this class is open to everybody. So everyone who's been on uh, our Bible classes, I have already opened this, so they're already archived for you. Um, we do have uh, our, uh, our, twice a month I go to different men's groups on Saturday mornings. The first and the, the first Saturday a group in West Covina where I was out yesterday. And then uh, the second Saturday of the month I have a group I go out in San Bernardino. And I'm uh, speaking at both events this month. Uh, so I spoke last yes, yesterday. I'm speaking at this one in uh, San Bernardino. They serve lunch here and they serve breakfast in San Bernardino. So if you want to join with us, our information is on our website. The address, location, it starts at 9.30 in the morning, when they both do. And, uh, and so 9.30 tomorrow morning, I mean, not tomorrow morning, excuse me. Uh, I need to go back to bed, I think. But anyway, uh, 9.30 in the morning, uh, next Saturday, the information on our website in San Bernardino. Breakfast will be served, a good fellowship, and uh, uh, hopefully good teaching. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, we do have one more other thing. Uh, that the last Saturday this month, this is February now, uh, We uh, this is leap year, so on the last Saturday of the month, which is the 28th of February at 7 o'clock, we're going to be showing another Karis movie, uh, theatrical production that they put on uh, called God With Us. It's the first one that they put together. It's powerful, uh, and uh, we just love it. We see it many times, and we just, it just never gets old. It's just powerful. So anything Karis puts together like this, or of anything nature, it's just always good quality. And not just good quality, but a powerful message. So they, uh, it's not, uh, uh, anyway. So, uh, make plans to join us if you're local. And uh, I don't think I have any other announcements. I know that was a handful. So anyway, well, let's go ahead and jump into the message this morning. Uh, I think we're in part three uh, of this series. And uh and as I shared before, um, this is my favorite topic, uh, being, uh, talking about righteousness. We're talking about being established in righteousness. So we're not just talking about righteousness, but my heart and that would become established in it. Anyway, when I began to get this revelation back in 2009, 
between 2009 2013 in that window of time uh, it just began to revolutionize my life it revolutionized my ministry uh, so much that I threw all my notes away all my other teachings away and I was just starting fresh and saying Lord if you help me get back in ministry this is what I'll teach when we started this church five years ago I spent almost a whole year teaching on righteousness and every message I teach taught them something there's a thread of righteousness uh, tied there uh, because it's the foundation as we've been establishing already and so this message now that I'm putting together I've consolidated almost a year of teaching I learned by teaching I learned I love teaching but I also learned by teaching too so uh, and then so that first year of just teaching on righteousness I consolidated it into uh, hopefully a more compact message um, so it's uh, um, but anyway, here we are, we're, we're in our lesson, we're still in our, kind of, I have kind of six lessons that I've developed out of this, and I'm still in the, the second lesson of this, uh, again, they're archived on our website, not just in the Bible classes, but also all of our messages that we've recorded on the website, so you can go back and look at those. But we're here in the second lesson, we're, we're still establishing the foundation for righteousness here. We talked last week, real briefly, and, and the week before, about, and I don't have to turn to it, but Isaiah, I'm just recapping right now, but Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news. Good news is the gospel. That's the definition of the gospel. Um, and this good news brings, it proclaims peace. It brings glad tidings of good things, and it proclaims salvation. The proclaiming peace and salvation are two components that I usually focus on. Because we can bring peace to any situation we're going through, or a situation we're involved in, or we can bring salvation. And where salvation is, is conclusive of, 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 of being wholeness, and deliverance, uh, healing, prosperity, provision uh, for whatever we need. Sometimes the provision is not just always money. Sometimes the provision is wisdom. Sometimes the provision is just the, the resources, the people that we need to do what we need to do. Uh, so it can be, provision can be a lot of different things. Uh, it can also be, uh, it goes with wholeness and healing, but just emotional stability and whatnot. Sometimes we just need, you know, uh, we just need the fruit of the Spirit. We just need God and His righteousness to, to reign in our lives. And we're going to get in a little bit of that. But the verse also says that, it says this gospel, this good news proclaims, it declares to Zion, His people, His church, His bride, your God reigns. The circumstances don't reign. Sickness doesn't reign. Lack doesn't reign. Uh, strife, discord, division doesn't reign. God reigns. And uh, we don't reign. God reigns. Yes, we are the redeemed by His blood to be kings and priests, but He is in us, and we are in Him, and He in us reigns in, in us and through us. This right that we've also talked about from Romans 1, 16 to 17, that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, what I just talked about, wholeness, healing, provision, and uh, um, deliverance. But this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. Believe it. But this, it also goes on in verse 17 saying that this gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. For the just shall live, or the righteous shall live by faith. <coughs> We're going to expound on that a little bit more as we go further in our study. Uh, not so much today, but uh, 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 this, this gospel reveals righteousness. So if we understand what righteousness is, we're going to understand more what the gospel is. Because the gospel reveals righteousness. 
So when I saw that uh, a few years ago, I just saw, you know, if, if what I'm hearing is not revealing righteousness, then it's not the gospel. If it's not proclaiming peace, if it's not proclaiming salvation, because that's what the gospel does. The gospel, in a nutshell, is the, the birth, death, uh, burial, resurrection, and even ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but make it even shorter, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's the gospel. It's good news. It's not necessarily good advice. It's good news, something that already took place. Jesus already died for our sins. He became our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. The gospel reveals that. There's other aspects of that, but we also talked about last week, too, how righteousness and truth are righteousness and justice <coughs> from Psalm 89, verse 14, is the foundation of his throne. We talked also from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 last week, how it's the elementary teachings, it's the foundational teachings. When the foundation is essential to anything, to any, any building, any life, any family, any structure, any corporation, uh, any business, the foundation is essential. If you've got a good foundation, whatever you build on that is going to be good. But if you don't have a good foundation, I don't care how pretty it looks, I don't care how strong it looks, if the foundation is weak, if there's a storm, if there's a trial, there's a calamity, it's going to come down. And so uh, the foundation is essential, and righteousness is the foundation of that. And so when we have a, that, that's why the gospel must reveal the righteousness. We must have a good, healthy foundation of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. We just finished a, a, a ten-week series on uh, in Christ realities. It went a little longer than I thought it would go, but there's over. <coughs> and I, even then, I didn't exhaust everything that talks about who we are in Christ because there are over 300 scriptures about who we are in Christ. Well, there's over 500 scriptures about righteousness. I'm not trying to do all the uh, uh, almanac of how many scriptures there are. It just, my, the point is, the, the scriptures, the Bible is loaded with scriptures teaching about who we are in Christ, His righteousness, and who we, and, and we need to know those things. We need to have a good foundation. And, and, Excuse me. Foundation also talks about being established. We're talking about being established in righteousness. We need a good foundation. We talked last week about the element. It's the elementary teachings. It's the first principles. Elementary teachings are essential. You need to know basic math if you're going to ever understand other higher forms of math: algebra, geometry, calculus. Some of these things I don't know. Some of these things I did learn. I don't know them anymore because I don't use them anymore. But I could have never learned what I did learn. Obviously, I learned it to graduate. Uh, but I, but I, I, did, I, I, I would never know these things if I didn't know basic math. You can't understand uh, big, uh, the grammar, vocabulary a lot of us know today without learning the basis of reading and writing. That, the alphabet. Um, and, and, the, and the basis, basis of, the, of the English language or whatever language you might speak. You have to have the elementary teachings and be established in those so you can have a higher education and so that you can grow. If you don't have some of the higher education, you're going to be fine. But if you don't understand the elementary teachings, basic math, basic reading and writing, you're going to struggle in life. That makes sense? <coughs> You'll struggle a lot more. I don't need, some people in right field need to know algebra and geometry. They need to know uh, some other uh, uh, 
higher forms of grammar vocabulary because of the vocation and the field that they're in. But, but uh, I don't need, in the field I'm in, I don't need to know algebra and geometry. Uh, but I need to know basic math. I need to know uh, basic uh, reading and writing. I have a wife that helps uh, correct all my papers and stuff when I do it. She, she, she's just my walking dictionary. Uh, she doesn't know everything, but she just is better in that field than I am. I'm usually better in the math field, uh, but uh, I used to joke that I went to school uh, to, to become a computerized accounting. That was what was on my certificate. And a lot of times when I'm adding stuff, I have a calculator or a computer to add it. And she goes, I thought you were accountant. I go, I'm a computerized accountant. I, I type in the numbers and the, the computer tells me what it is. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I won't let that one go. But uh, it just, uh, um, but we need to have be established in, the, in righteousness. We've also talked last week how, uh, well, some more time with you on Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 17, that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for doctrine and righteousness, for correction and reproof and righteousness, for correction and righteousness, for training and righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then we also talked about how we, in, in Romans chapter uh, 3, we'll spend more time here too later on, but how the, 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 uh, we're not justified by our own works. We're not declared righteous by our own works. I'm paraphrasing this. But we, uh, but even though we're not justified by the law, well, we're not declared righteous by the deeds of the law, the, the law still gives testimony. It still gives witness to the manifestation of righteousness we should be experiencing in life. And we're gonna, we'll get into, we'll dive into that. That's a little deeper teaching, but we'll get into that as well. So what does that mean? How, what does that look like? And how do we understand that? But we, I, going back to Timothy just for a second, as I'm getting ready to go into what we're going to talk about today, it's just, uh, I want to be complete for every good work. I want to be equipped for every good work. Every good work is not always something spiritual like being a pastor, or, being, or, or, or evangelism, or, or whatnot. Those are good works too. But we, everything we do, from parenting to things we do in life, our, our jobs and vocations, our decisions we make, just living life, we need to be equipped for every good work. We need to be equipped how we think, how we process, how we relate to other people, and how we handle things. Even, even in an ungodly society, uh, we need to know how to be equipped for every good work. We're the head and not the tail. We're the, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We are the church of the living God. And we need to be equipped for every good work, and, it's, uh, and we need, so therefore we need to be indoctrinated in righteousness, and we need to be reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness, so that that can take place. Well, if you, uh, go ahead and join me in your Bibles this morning. We're gonna uh, some of this will still be a little recap from last week because I didn't finish this thought, so I want to reiterate some of these things. Go with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. And we'll pick it up in verse fourteen again. Because of everything I've said, just said, and rehashed again this morning, it's true. We need to behold differently. We need to see things differently. 
And the word behold means to see with the mind. We need to behold things differently. And I'm going to use these scriptures to bring this out. This is one we went over last week, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 21, I'm not going to go all detailed this week as I did last week. But for the love of Christ, what is the love of Christ? The way I like to teach that, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a fancy word, but it means that he was our sacrifice. He was our lamb. He was our substitute. He was our propitiation. Jesus died for us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous God in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 21 in the context that we're reading right now. But the, this love of Christ, our propitiation, compels us to, to justice. It compels us to come to this conclusion. And to the colon. And what's that conclusion? The love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion that if one Christ died for all, then all die. The love of Christ, because that is the love of Christ. He who knew no, he, uh, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. This is love. And the love compels us to come to this conclusion that he died for us. And if he died for us, then we, uh, spiritually speaking, are dead. I mean, excuse me, I said that wrong. Uh, us, us, naturally speaking, are dead. That makes sense, okay? Uh, like, Dave, what are you talking about? Okay. Um, naturally speaking, are dead. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We can also uh, spend a lot of time in Romans chapter 6, which we won't today, but we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The old man is dead. And because, because that's true, because he died for us, therefore, because, that, because that's true, this is true, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. That corrects what I just mis misstated just a minute ago. Now, we're not, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Because physically speaking, we are dead. This is because with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, uh, when he's talking about being born again. We're not going back into our mother's womb and being born again of the flesh. We're being born again of Christ. We're being born again spiritually speaking. And as Jesus told Nicodemus, what is born of flesh is flesh, what is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. We're not born again back to Adam. We're born again into Christ. That makes sense. The old man is dead. Therefore, because Christ died for all, uh, we're no longer flesh. We don't know one another after flesh. Even Christ. I had a conversation with the gentleman yesterday after my message. But, you know, uh, but I just like, we don't know Christ after the flesh. Yes, he was after the, he, he, he humbled himself. God manifests himself in the flesh. And flesh dwelt among us bodily. But Jesus had to do that because sin, sin the penalty for sin was death. Man had to die. So therefore, therefore God, through Christ, had to become a man so that he could die for us. If he didn't do that, he could not have been our propitiation. His, his, his sacrifice would not have been sufficient. We would still be on our sins. We would still have to die for our own sins. Uh, because that was the penalty of it. But he, because he became man, so the Son of God became the Son of Man. He was both, but now he's no longer the flesh. We don't know Christ after the flesh anymore. Why? Because he rose again. He's risen. He's ascended. He's sitting at the, he's sitting at the right hand of God in his glorified state. And we who are in Christ sit with him in heavenly places. 
We are sitting with him on his throne. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. We are sitting with him. We are in Christ. We don't know man after the flesh. God can't dwell in flesh and blood. God can't dwell in an unholy vessel. But we're not unholy. We are holy in Christ Jesus. We are righteous in Christ Jesus. Our last teaching series we talked about in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but he has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Christ has become that. But because this is true, so is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And this is the word I'm focused on right now in this section of my series, is that, behold, all things have become new. Because Christ has died for us, because we, are, are, we don't know man after the flesh, we are not beholding the flesh anymore, we are beholding that we are in Christ. There's, we need to keep our focus, we need to be so established in righteousness that we are beholding our whole life by who we are in Christ, not who we are in the flesh. That makes sense? We need to, and, and this word behold again is defined as seeing with the mind. We need to see in our mind something differently. We can't see it naturally because we can still see our flesh. We can still, in a sense, see our emotions carry out. The only way we can see who we are in Christ is through the mirror of God's Word. That's the only way we can see it. What I'm explaining right now is spirit, soul, and body, which we, and we have a class on it in our Bible classes from Ross and Purdue, but we're teaching this on right now on Sunday, uh, Saturday nights in Pasadena. We'll teach it again here, too, eventually on Sunday nights again. But uh, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is 100% born again. And we need to see our whole life based on that foundation, on that premise of who we are in Christ. That makes sense. We still have a natural body. Uh, we still have a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. But our spirit is born again. And we need to behold all things have become new. And uh, I'm not going to finish the rest of it right now because I talked about it last week. But let's go real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now because we talked about it last week. We'll probably talk about it some more because this is uh, one of my favorite verses, uh, passages of Scripture. But let me just say this. I don't know if I said this last week. But uh, I'm scrolling up real quick to verse 11. And I spent some time here last week. I think it was. That he gave, it's in the same context where Paul's already saying he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We spent a lot of time on this in, in uh, the first week, uh, towards the end of the message, the first week. God, God, my job as a pastor, among other fivefold ministries, is to help equip you for the work of the ministry of edifying the body of Christ. And we're doing that, and actually if I read this in the King James or the colon right here, not here in the New King James, but in the colon, and we do all that so that we can all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm not going to rehash all of that right now, but this is in the same context as the same verse that I'm reading. Don't get dizzy on me as I scroll. Verse 20, we're going to pick it up. It's in that same context that Paul goes on to say, but you have not so learned Christ. 
this phrase, so learn Christ, and, and, and the, this phrase is one word in the Greek, and it, and it means to, to be permeated, to be saturated, to be imbued, is another definition of that word. We are to be, we have not so learned Christ, if indeed you haven't heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Christ. This truth is in Christ. We, in other words, we need to so learn Christ. We need to so learn this truth that is in Christ. We need to be so permeated and saturated and imbued with this truth that is in Christ. And what is this truth that's in Christ that we are to so learn? Well, there's a colon here. So he's going to expound on what that truth is in Christ that we're to so learn. Is that we, and I, I'm going to paraphrase this, well, I'll just read it, that you put off the old man, considering your, your former conduct, the King James says your former conversation, we need to talk different. We need to see ourselves different. We need to put ourselves, put off the old, concerning your old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'll come back to this. And that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's true righteousness and holiness. We're truly righteous in Jesus Christ. We're truly holy in Jesus Christ. We don't live righteously to become righteous. We don't live holy to become holy. But because we are truly righteous in Christ, we live that way. We live like who we are. We're believers, so we believe. We're righteous, so we live righteously. We are holy, so we be holy as He is holy. Because we're holy in Him. That making sense? But this truth that's in Christ Jesus, to make it simple, is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man. And we need to make that transformation. We need to see ourselves differently. We put off. If you study this word, put off, it's the same connotation as cutting off. It means to cut off. It's the same connotation as circumcision. We need to cut it off. We need to be done with it. We, and, and, and where do we make this transformation? We make this transformation in the spirit of our minds. That's really, verse 23 is pretty close to the definition of the word behold. That's why I like this scripture in context what I'm talking about. We need to behold ourselves as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Verse 24. That makes sense? We're no longer associating with the old man, which is flesh. We don't know no man after the flesh. We know ourselves after Christ, a new creation. And we need, our, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We need to think differently. And so, therefore, in the same context of uh, what, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16, in that context, is that my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so we all come to the unity of faith. And what is that unity of faith? So we all put off the old man and put on the new man and, and who we are in Christ Jesus. Is that making sense? Among other things, my job is to set that foundation and so that we so learn this. Uh, you know, when you're so learning something, when you're being imbued, permeated in something, you can't just share it one time. If you're going to be saturated in, in a concept, you're going to be taught it, taught it, taught it, taught it, taught it. Maybe from different angles, different aspects, and sometimes being taught again. I don't want to be so boring and so repetitive that it becomes boring. I mean, it's not boring. But at the same point in time, there are other things we need to teach on, but we need to make sure that the foundation is permeated so that we can build on it. I can talk about any other topic. 
if the foundation is good. But about any other topic, it has to be in, uh, it has to be entwined. It has to be um, uh, there's a word. Uh, it has to be mixed with this teaching, with this foundation of righteousness. That makes sense. It has to, it has to be in the DNA. It has to be in, in it has to be in the equation. Otherwise, because the gospel reveals righteousness, and uh, I believe. Um, all scripture is proper for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But my point I'm trying to make right here in this section is that we need to be wholesome and differently. We need to see our lives differently. And because we need to see our lives differently, we also need to see one another differently in Christ. We are the righteousness of God. That's plural. I'm not just the righteousness of God and you're, you're something. We are the righteousness of God in Him. Okay? Now I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So I said all of that as we kind of recap, because I wanted to get the context to where we're going to now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, according to my notes, which you don't see, I'm going to go a little different path than I planned on. Go to verse 7. We're going to start here. So I'm kind of going backwards in my notes, but uh, I maybe I need to redo my notes. But, so I've got to read a little bit of context here, and then I've got to explain something else. But the ministry, the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of Righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious has no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passed away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passed away. We'll stop there. We're going to pick it up in, uh, here in just a moment. Let's go back here for a moment. Let me bring out a couple of things. And I highlighted these. If you can see it, you probably can't see it in the video. The highlights so well. But Paul is comparing the ministry of death, which he also calls the ministry of condemnation, with the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. He's making a comparison. The ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation is the law. But in context, he's saying that it, it, it the, uh, the ministry of condemnation had glory. It was glory. The law is good. The law is holy. And if you study it out, and Hebrews chapter 9 talks about it too, it's the blood of the Lamb that made the law holy. But at the same point in time, it is holy. It is good. The danger with the law is that we can't become holy, and we can't become good by keeping it. We can only become holy and good by Jesus. That makes sense. It's still good for us to, it's still good for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, love our neighbor as ourselves. It's still good that we don't commit murder, adultery, uh, and all kinds of things. It's still, those are still good. But we don't become good, and we don't become holy because we do those things. 
there's only one way we can become holy, and that's through Jesus. We must be born again. Even if we didn't do anything wrong, and we all have, because all have sinned and fall short of the word of God, being justified freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Only Jesus, only being born again. We were in Adam, but now we are born again in Christ. Even, even if we never committed a sin, the fact that we were in Adam, we still have a sin nature. But we're born again with a brand new nature. And a brand new nature, we, as we renew our minds to who we are, we will get brand new desires. And it, I've seen so many people get set free from all kinds of lifestyles and addictions because they finally discovered and who they were in Christ. <clears throat> they were became the righteous in the God of Christ Jesus. But Paul's making a comparison between these two kinds of ministries. The ministry of righteousness is the ministry of the Spirit. We, we like when they're talking about the ministry of the Spirit. But the ministry of the Spirit, as Paul is saying right here, is the ministry of righteousness. Yes, the ministry of death and condemnation are the same, but so is the ministry of the Spirit. He's just using different terminology. If I were to fast forward to chapter 5, which we just read a minute ago, he calls it the ministry, in verse 18 of chapter 5, he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. It's the same context, it's just a different terminology, but, uh, so we can use, take it, look at it from different ways, but we're talking about righteousness. And the ministry of righteousness is the ministry of the Spirit, and this ministry of righteousness has seized much more in glory than the ministry of condemnation and death. Am I making sense so far? Okay? It has seized much more in glory. I'm not going to go through all this stuff right now, but, uh, but then it goes on in verse 14. But their minds were blinded. Now remember, the word behold means to see with the mind. But the, they were blinded for until this day the, the, the same veil remains <coughs> unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, or Old Covenant, because the veil is taken away where? In Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, which means the law, is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the law, the veil is taken away. In other words, the law is good, but the law is also a veil. It's also a ministry of condemnation. Let me just say this. Why is the law called a ministry of condemnation and death? Because the law was given to condemn your sins. It, it, it condemns your sin. It, it, the law doesn't grade on a curve. The law doesn't grade on mercy. The law doesn't grade on grace. If you break one, one item of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And the penalty of breaking the law, even just one thing, is death. There is no mercy in the law. There's no grace in the law. But we need the law that tells us we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need someone who can propitiate our sins. We need a Savior. We, there's, no, there's none righteous, no, not one, outside of Christ. But we're not outside of Christ, so therefore in Christ we're righteous. But we can't, so our self-righteousness is like filthy. None of us, even if we, even if we kept the law now, that we still wouldn't measure up. It's, it wouldn't be suffice to, to redeem us. We need a Savior. I mean, the ministry is condemnation and death. But, and so, the, uh, but the law is also, um, will blind people's minds. It's a veil. 
And there's only one way to remove that veil. It's not by debating with people. It's not by manipulating people. There's only one way to remove that veil, and that is to preach Christ. That is to preach Jesus. Because when one turns to the Lord, that veil, that blinder, is removed. I've got to build on this a little bit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now remember, we also just, Paul just said that the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of righteousness. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Well, where there is also righteousness, there is liberty too. Because they're one and the same. That makes sense? He, he just, he compared, I'll come back to some of this in a minute. I'm going to come back to this verse, but let me read it. But we all with uh, unveiled faith, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just by the Spirit of the Lord. This is my main verse I'm trying to get to, but I want to read ahead for a moment, and I'll come back to this. Therefore, there's a word again, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? The ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness that he just talked about in verses 7 and 9. As we have received mercy. We didn't receive mercy by the ministry of condemnation that we received mercy by Jesus. We received mercy by the ministry, uh, this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. We receive mercy. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor having the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to God, to, to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. Verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, remember that blinding veil of the law is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds, remember the law, the veil was a blinding of blinding people's minds, whose minds, the God of this age, I've read this before and, and, and why is it lower G? Because it's not talking about God, it's talking about the God of this age, the enemy, Satan, the devil. The God of this age has blinded. God's not blinding them, the devil is. The God of the is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, uh, who is the image of God, should shine on them. One thing I talk about when I talk about the gospel, the gospel's not a it, it's a who. The gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is a who. It's not an it, it's not the ink, it's a who. And his name is Jesus. But we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And not ourselves, your bond service, what Jesus said. Uh, for God, but it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading it a little fast because that's not my, what I'm trying to get to this morning. But there's only one way to... When the gospel is veiled by preaching legalism, by preaching religion, by preaching law, uh, the ministry of condemnation and death, there's a veil that blinds people's minds, and their veil, the gospel is veiled, and it's veiled to those that are perishing. When, when people are not taught right, when people are not taught Christ to remove that veil, and there's a blinder. And people are perishing. When people don't know that because of his, by his stripes we are healed. There's a blinding veil that they have to put up with sickness. And physically they're perishing. 
Same thing regarding finances. Same thing regarding any other aspect of our salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. We know people who are suffering. They, 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 they think they've been taught that God did this to them. That God's trying to teach them something. That God's involved. Out of the sovereignty of God and God's behind all this. God has already done it. The gospel, the ministry of his righteousness, the ministry of his spirit. Christ has already paid for all that. He's given us a great redemption, a great salvation. He's, he's already done that through the cross. The gospel reveals that. We are already forgiven. We are already declared righteous. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the ministry of rightness. Yes, the law was glorious and it's holy. But the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of His Spirit, exceeds much more in glory. And if the gospel is not preached, because that's the gospel is the only way to remove this veil. It's the only way to remove this blinding veil. And there's people that are not beholding because they're blinded. Maybe they've been taught wrong or they're believing wrong. However, what the case is, and I'm not picking on anyone by being taught wrong. I want to teach the truth. Because, and, and, and the enemy is behind all this because he wants to blind people's minds from believing the gospel so they can be set free, so they're not perishing, so that they can experience also, going back here, verse 17 and verse chapter 3, so that they can, they can experience freedom. You know, when I finally understood righteousness, which means I also... That like for the first time I really understood the gospel. I know I was saved as a child. I know I went to some good churches growing up. I know I, I, I was born again. I knew I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was even a pastor or, or in ministry at times. Not a senior pastor, but I was still in ministry. But I remember when I got a revelation of righteousness. And the met, everything I'm trying to teach you to, to, in this series and more. I felt for the first time in 2009. That I was born again. I knew I knew theologically, I knew biblically I was already born again. But there was just something liberating. There was something enlightening. There was something that was quickened in my mind and my heart when I understood righteousness, when I understood uh, the gospel in a holy light. And there were some addictions I had, there were some issues I had, and because I knew this, and when I got the revelation, I got set free. I got set free from addictions. I got set free from some wrong thinking. I got some, set free from some religion I had. I got set free from a lot of different things. And it, it, this has beautified my life. It's beautified our marriage. It's beautified our ministry. It's beautified every single thing. And as I continue to renew my mind and to behold this truth, it has transformed. It has revolutionized everything about me. That makes sense? Though I didn't know it at the time, but there was a veil. And this veil is, can be very deceptive. The enemy works through deception. The danger about deception is when you're deceived, you don't know it. You cannot know you're deceived when you're deceived. It's, that's an oxymoron. You can't know you're deceived when you're deceived. You can't, have, you can't know you're deceived any more than you can have dry water or cold fire. It just doesn't work. It, it, you can't have it. When you're deceived... You don't know you're deceived. Now, it doesn't mean I was totally deceived. It was a partial deception. It was a veil. A veil, sometimes you can still see through, but you can't see clearly. Or at least you can't look. You ever see people with their windows tinted? They can see out, but you can't see in. Sometimes when they're, you know, uh, uh, they have that really dark tint, you know, 
is anybody in there? You know, they can see you looking strange and you're looking out through the window when they're in there. Anyway, maybe you just think I'm strange. But uh, anyway, uh, but there's a bell. And when I turned to the Lord, when I got this revelation, there was something very liberating about that. Let's go back to verse 18, because where I really want to get to. It's taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to, but we're okay. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the manner of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just by the Spirit of the Lord. Remember, the, spirit, the ministry of the Spirit is also the ministry of righteousness. So this whole transformation that we're going to talk about happens by the Spirit of God. It happens by the ministry of the Spirit. It happens by the ministry of righteousness. Okay? But let's look at this. Let's break this, let's break this verse apart. The first part of this, where it says, well, with an unveiled face. Well, it's hard to know what an unveiled face is if we don't know what a veiled face is. A veiled face is... Going back here is the blinder. The mind were blinded until the, as long as the veil was over their face. There was a veiled face. Am I making sense so far? But we all. But if you remove the veil, and the veil has everything to do with what we're beholding, what we're seeing. If you remove the veil, if you change the way you're seeing it, behold, the word behold means to see with the mind. If you change, if you're thinking differently, if you're seeing differently, then. If you remove the, the wrong veil, if you remove the wrong perception, then you need to replace it with something good. That makes sense? Just because, you know, if that's why when I'm ministering to people with wrong, bad lifestyles and addictions, it's not just stopping them from doing the negative behavior. More importantly, we need to fill them with the truth. Because it's the truth that's going to set them free. If they don't know the truth and they're going to try to do it on their own effort, they will fail. Maybe they'll get set free in one sense and, and conquering that area. But something else will come up. And we need to be changed from the inside out. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But when we all with an unveiled face are beholding. There's that word behold again. Seeing with the mind. We remove the veil. So now we're beholding something new. Are we, are we, if we remove the veil, we're also now seeing something clear. That makes sense. We're seeing something without any deception. We're seeing something without any blinder. We're seeing, because the, the bell was blinding the hearts, the minds. It was blinding the mind. If you remove the bell, your mind is not blinded anymore. You can see. It's called spiritual blindness. Okay? But we all with an unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, I remember reading this back in 2009. And this is where God asked me a question. He said, Dave, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I didn't bring my mirror out this morning, but that's okay. But, uh, but the Word of God is our mirror, so I'm going to use this as my mirror. And God asked me a very logical question. Well, it sounded logical to me. He said, Dave, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And I said, I'm looking at the mirror. And I said, well, every time I look at the mirror, I show up. I said, I see me. I see Dave. Now, I knew I had answered the question wrong when God asked me the question again. Dave, do you, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And I said, Dave. So this went back and forth a couple of times. See, Dave. So I knew that I was, God's trying to teach me something, but I'm not getting it yet. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
And then I, in, in that whole conversation, I remember him asking me to read the verse again. When beholding, when I go this, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, a mirror is not like a window. I know sometimes some, some windows at certain times of day can be reflective with certain kinds of tinting. But a mirror, for the most part, is a see-through object. You can see something on the other side. But a mirror is a reflective device. Whatever is facing it is going to reflect that image. And usually when we look in the mirror, especially in the morning and whatnot, getting ready for the day, we, we are fixing our hair, our, our, our makeup, or whatever we got to do. I don't fix makeup, okay? Don't get, don't get, don't get any wrong ideas there, okay? Uh, but anyway, but we're doing whatever we're doing. We're seeing the mirror, right? We're seeing our image. But in this scripture, it says, we're beholding, we're seeing with the mind, with the unveiled face, a mind that's not blinded anymore. We're now seeing as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. And then it began to dawn on me. God's saying, when I look in the mirror, I need to see his glory, not my glory. I need to see his image, not my image. Paul said this way, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I, God was teaching me something very profound that I've never forgotten. That I need to start seeing myself. I mean, excuse me, that's what I'm doing. I need to see God in the mirror. I need to see Christ in the mirror, not me. He says, when you see His glory, and I'll come back to that word glory in just a moment, the His glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image that I'm beholding. The image that I'm now seeing. See, when I was looking through the veil face, and to the law, I was seeing myself. I was seeing my imperfections. I was seeing my failures, my inadequacy, my lack, my my failures of all kinds. I was seeing flesh, but I'm not flesh and blood anymore. I'm born again. I'm in Christ Jesus, and as I'm in Christ, the veil is removed. And as I in the mirror, the mirror is not just some uh, natural mirror. The Word of God is our mirror. And as we behold his glory in the mirror, we are going to be transformed. The word transformed is, what, is the word metamorphosis. And where do we get the word metamorphosis? Like a caterpillar to a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog. We will be transformed into his image when we behold his glory in the mirror. When I see myself in Christ, when I see His glory, not my glory, and the mirror is reflecting me. But I don't see me, I see Christ. I'm beholding His glory, and I'm doing it in the mind. I'm not blinded anymore. It's an unfelt faith, and I'm beholding, I'm seeing with the mind His glory, His image in the mirror. I will be transformed into the image I'm now beholding. And I'm going to do it from glory to glory. The glory of the ministry of condemnation to the glory of the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. By the Spirit of God, which is also the ministry of righteousness. Am I making sense? I'm tired. Everything I'm just teaching, I'm teaching from the same context that he just said. About what, the, what glory the glory is. When I read this and when I begin to understand it, and I'm still understanding it to be honest. It revolutionized my life. My life has never been the same again since I began to understand this verse. Because I began to see me differently. 
in Christ Jesus. Our veil was removed. There was now liberty. It was freedom. And I, I began to understand his mercy. I began to understand his what God was doing. And my, my there was a, there was a, a, there was an enlightening. There was a light of the gospel. It was enlightening. The, the, the light was piercing through the darkness. The light was shining. It's like the light came on. It's like the light broke through the, the darkness, the clouds, whatever. It revolutionized my life. Am I making sense? This is very transforming. It goes with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the mold, to the image of this world, but be transformed. And actually, the whole concept, we, we, look, we, we overlook it. Let, let's turn it real quick. Romans chapter 12. Paul says, and he's using strong language here. He says, I beseech you. Paul doesn't use that language. He's beseeching us. He's imploring us. Therefore, brethren, by, and we overlook this part, by the mercies of God, you cannot transform your thinking if you don't understand his mercy. If you don't understand his righteousness, his gift of righteousness, his mercy. That makes sense? His mercy is what teaches us this. That you present your body a living sacrifice. How do we do that? By his mercies. Holy, by his mercies. Acceptable to God, by his mercies. It's only by his mercy that any of this is true. Which is your reasonable service. His All of this is reasonable. It's not unreasonable. It's not just some mind game. It's true. His mercy endures forever. His mercies are new and they are fresh every morning. It's his faithfulness, not mine. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, and same word, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect world. You're not going to, and if one says, God has a perfect Good and acceptable will for your life. Not just eternally, but also now. But you can't prove it. You can't know it if you don't renew your mind to who you are in Christ Jesus. At least you won't know it to its fullness. You won't know it to, in its purest form. That makes sense. The more I get, the more I understand who I am in Christ, the more I understand my destiny and God's purpose in my life. Not just eternally speaking. But also, my job here. I understand my job better as a, a husband, and as a pastor, and just as a brother in Christ. I understand who I am more by the mercies of God. But I have a part to play to be transformed by the renewing of mind. How do I do that? I do that, I believe, don't get busy on me, by beholding his merit, his glory merit. I need to see him. I need, to, I need to cut off the old man in my mind, in the spirit of my mind, and put on the new man. There needs to be a transformation. There needs to be a revolution in how I think and what I'm beholding. This, 
this message on being established in righteousness won't be entirely fruitful if we don't change the way we think. If we don't change the way we see ourselves in Christ. We need to behold His glory in the mirror. Some of us think that we're unworthy. In the flesh we are unworthy. That's why Jesus, we died in Christ. And we became born again because in Christ we are as worthy as He is. We are accepted in the Beloved. We In Him we are wise. We are righteous. We are sanctified. We are redeemed. We are a new creation. The bell robbed us, the bell deceived us that we are not worthy. But we, and we weren't worthy in ourselves, but we are worthy because of Jesus. He became our propitiation. That makes sense. We're a new creation in Christ. We don't know no man after the flesh. And we've got to stop looking at life from a fleshly lens. And we need to start seeing life through Christ's lens of who we are in Christ. But if we're not in the Word, if we're not, if we're not looking into the right mirror, we're not going to see it. There's a mystery. But it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That makes sense. It's a mystery to the world. It's a mystery to those who are blinded. But when this veil is removed, the mystery is revealed. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can teach that in a longer form. But you're getting there. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. There's not a scripture in that. A lot of people quote that. There's not a scripture about that. God works through Christ. Christ, God has revealed himself in Christ. To the world it's a mystery. But to us it's the power of God. That makes sense? Okay. Um, Alright, let's switch gears a little bit here. I went over a lot of my notes here, just in that, that, that little teaching here. Let's go to Isaiah 54. Fourteen. <coughs> and this kind of is a verse that kind of is the title of my message uh, for this series. But it says, "In righteousness you shall be what established." I mean, this is Old Testament, but this is very prophetic for, I mean, the whole context, we're in Isaiah 54, uh, Isaiah 53, it talks about how he was, the word before a transgression, he was, by his stripes we were healed. We, we get the gospel message in, in chapter 53, but it's really the same context, but we're in chapter 54, but in righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble. Talk about the enemy. But not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. But no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, there's that condemnation again. You shall, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, declares the Lord. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to go into all that detail of everything he's saying. But how many know we're in a war? 
The enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He's been trying to do that since Adam. And death did reign. We talked about that in our first week. But much more. Those who receive the gift of uh, the, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. Isaiah also records earlier in the book that death has been annulled. Paul quotes this in Corinthians that death has no longer has a victory. It no longer has a sting. It's been swallowed up in victory. What is that victory? The cross. What Jesus did. He became our sin that we might become his righteousness. Because all this is true, and this is Old Testament, but this, this is for us today. And righteousness you shall be established. If we are established in righteousness, then the, 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 the job of the, the, the pastor and the, and the Bible ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we all come to the unity of the faith of the measure of the fullness of God. I'm paraphrasing. So we're not like children tossed by every wind of doctrine. We need to be established. And those who are not established, when false doctrine comes, when the trials of life come, when the storm comes because they didn't build their house on a good foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ, their solid rock, their cornerstone, the, when oppression tries to come, when fear tries to come, when terror and enemy tries to come, when they assemble against you, when you are establishing righteousness, like Jesus and like the prophets and like many other people, we have a right because of righteousness that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. <coughs> and every time that right against us in judgment, we shall condemn because this is our heritage. Why? Because this, our righteousness is from Him. It's not from us. That making sense? When we are establishing righteousness, yes, we have authority, and yes, we have dominion, and yes, we are kings and priests, and yes, God has put everything underneath our feet, the church, his body, because our righteousness is of him. That's why all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be fully equipped for every good work, not just to do good, but also to rebuke darkness. And any weapon formed against us, or his church, or one another, we love one another, we bear with one another, we fight with one another, we mourn when they mourn, we rejoice when they rejoice, we come alongside and lift up one another, even on our worst day, even when we failed and we made mistakes, we lift them up to restore them. Because our righteousness, our righteousness is of Him. That's our heritage, that's who we are. This is so deep, but I'm hoping you're getting what I'm trying to get... Even, I hope you're also understanding the importance, the vitality of us to understand and be grounded and established in the foundation of righteousness. Because it will affect every area of our lives. The enemy wants to blind us from this truth. He wants to snuff it out. Because if he can blind us, then we're not going to... I believe, this will come out more in my message, but when we understand righteousness, we are the enemy's worst nightmare in that sense. Because Christ has already defeated the enemy and because of righteousness. But if we don't know it, we're not going to operate in who we are in this righteousness. And uh, I'll, I'll bring up some more teachings a little bit later. Um, 
understand how the path is, but am I making sense this morning? That, 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 that why one is not just a knowing intellectual. We need to know my people perish for the lack of knowledge. They're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we need to be established in righteousness. That making sense? Let's go real quick to Isaiah 51. This is kind of a filler verse, but it's still powerful. Isaiah 51. There's two verses here, actually. We'll start with verse 6. Talking to the King James because I have this highlighted. But let me read verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like, in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Skip down to verse 8. He says, For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. There's a lot here. I'm not going to go into all the detail. It just, again, this is just a kind of a filler verse. But I just want to establish again, His righteousness is forever. And it's from generation to generation. Since we're here, I wasn't going to go here. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, we'll pick up verse 6. We usually read this around Christmas time, but it's very applicable. I mean, no, Christmas is every day of the year. Because God's Savior has been born unto us. But it's very fitting to what we just read in Isaiah 51. Verse 6, it says, For unto who? Us. I always like to highlight that. For unto us. Who's us? Us. Does that include you? Does that include me? It includes us. Unto us. It's not born just to other people. It's born unto us. A child is born. Unto us. A son is given. This Jesus, this Christ, this Redeemer, this Savior was born to you. It was given to you. It's a gift to you. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He's in you. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the body. That means we're also his shoulders. That makes sense? If you know the anatomy of the human body, that, that the, the head rests on the shoulders. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. But the government should be upon his shoulders. That includes us. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That sounds very eternal, just like what we just read. His salvation is forever, his righteousness forever. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, which we can all tie this in right into Christ, to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice. Which sounds very, very similar to uh, Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of this throne. But establish it. There's a lot here. I wouldn't get to spend time here, but uh, his kingdom is forever. I don't care what the enemy's doing. I don't care what things are natural or happening. His kingdom is forever. And his government shall reign. And 
If our beautiful, if our mountains or the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace and baptizes and good things, who, who proclaims salvation and who declares to Zion, his church, his people, your God reigns. When we are established in righteousness, it may look like other things are reigning, but no, our God reigns. Righteousness reigns. Salvation reigns. And this child, this son that was given to us, the government is on his shores. And every every name and every need, sickness, sin, whatever, addiction, uh, whatever's going to strife, whatever, must bow to the name of Jesus, his kingdom. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And we are the re- and we have been redeemed by his blood to be kings on earth. Um, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll go to verse 34. I saw this again back in 2009, and I just uh, I love this. There's a lot here in this whole chapter. This is a long chapter, but 34. I really just want to pick up on this phrase real quick. The first phrase that I have highlighted here, but just awake to righteousness and sin not. The rest of the passage is good, but I, that's not what I'm focused on. Awake to righteousness and sin not. What, what does it mean to awake? We need to be awakened. How many of you know that we, I want to see revival? I want to see revival in this country, in this world. I want to see revival in my life uh, over and over again. Uh, but I need to awake. I need a revelation. I need to be awakened to righteousness and sin not. No, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say sin not to become righteous. It says awake to righteousness and sin not. The power, the ability. And when we're talking about the enemy coming against us, one of the ways he comes up against us is through sin. He trips us up. He, he tries to get us to fall into sin and temptation. And now, uh, not only we are in sin, and, and, and the wages of sin is death, and, and uh, uh, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will corruption. He's trying to trap us through deception and through our own folly. And then when we start falling into sin, we feel guilty, and we have a guilty conscience. And then we, just like Adam, we don't run to God, we run from God. And, and we still do that. We still have a tendency to do that. But when we are to, when we are to righteousness... Everything that rises up against us, we can condemn. And we can get things right. And when we, when we fell, not that we are, even John says this in, in, in verse John chapter 2, I write these things, brother, so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. The purpose is that we don't sin. And But I, let me just say this. One of the ways that I found myself living a lot more holier life, in a righteous life, I, I was discovering I'm righteous and I'm holy in Him. I, when I tried to do it in my own strength to live righteously and holy, I messed up a lot more and in a greater and greater magnitude. But when I finally discovered my righteousness, I was able to live righteously from the inside out and not the outside in. It was real revolutionary. Am I making sense? In no way, shape, or form, in this message or in this series, are we condoning sin? Christ died for it. Why do I want to live in it any longer? But it's Christ that set me free, not me. And I'm free not to be in sin. I'm free to be, I'm free from sin because of His grace. But it's the, 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 the tool, the, 
and a lot of people know the truth, know that we're supposed to live righteously, but are different things, but how do we do it? It's the how that people are hung up on. How do we do this? How do we live this life? And the, the key ingredient to me was awaken to righteousness. And this behooved me when I when I began to see this verse. Again, it goes with some of the other verses I've been reading about, studying about, we've been teaching about. It behooved me, if this is my, my key to not sinning, then I need to understand what righteousness is. I can't be awakened to something I don't know about. I can't be awakened to something I don't know what it is. It's time to waken my heart and waken my mind to what is righteousness so that I can be free from sin. Does that make sense? And as I did, I began, I found out, I, it, it became the antidote to being free from sin, being free from sickness, being free from lack and other things and other unhealthy ways of thinking, even depression or discouraging thoughts or whatever the case may be. That makes sense. Awake to righteousness. Remove that bow. Behold. You know, it also goes with the whole idea of beholding. When, you know, if, if you're not beholding your righteousness in Christ, there's a bow. It's time to wake up. It's time to remove that bow and see Christ. See His righteousness so that we can be free. Am I making sense? And I can apply this, I, and we'll, we'll get into this, but I can apply this to healing. I can apply this to any any, I can depression, discouragement, or lack, anything that is part of the curse that Christ has redeemed me from. If I awake to righteousness, I can see how beautiful and announcing feet of Him who brings us good news that proclaims peace and proclaims salvation and declares that our God means. Okay, I have just a few more minutes and I'll, I think I'm going to close with this. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. said earlier, I kind of have broken this teaching onto six different lessons. And I'm wrapping up this lesson here, and we'll get into some new territory next week on the same topic of righteousness, but we'll be looking at it from a totally different angle next week. And we'll overlap some things as well I talk about. But go with me, start with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. <coughs> Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How I many you know the devil is very wily? You ever, ever watched the Roadrunner show? Cartoon growing up? Well, uh, the coyote who was always trying to attack the Roadrunner, his name was Wiley. That was intentional because he was very crafty, very widely in how he tried to trap up the roadrunner. Now, just do that to paint a picture. How many know the enemy is very deceptive? He's very widely in how he tries to trap himself, not just in the sin, but in wrong thinking and whatnot. But we need to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wild of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye might be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt, sorry, I, I went back to the King, I didn't tell the King James, 
Hand me your charger real quick. Sorry. Got my highlights there, but uh, uh, the reading's a little harder for some. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above <clears throat> all, take the, the shield of faith, <coughs> excuse me, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. <clears throat> and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and all supplication, and the Spirit being watchful to, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There's a lot here, but a lot of us know this, are familiar with this, about the armor of God. And we have the armor of God because uh, uh, we are in a war, as I talked about. But another way I like looking at this, and I can also tie this in with some scriptures from uh, Romans chapter 13, but I look at this whole armory that we are to wear, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and whatnot. I look at this, and I, I can tie this all in, and I'll, I'll tie a little bit in with the time I have remaining, that I call this the armor of righteousness. And the reason I do that, I'll go back first, uh, first uh, I think it's first, uh, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all the stand, stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on, girded your waist with truth. How do you gird your waist with truth? It's called, uh, if I go back to the King James, it probably has it better for me. The truth. Well, it's called the Bell of Truth. I'll just stick here for now. Um, it's called the Bell of Truth. Well, if you, if you study that out, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, it's talking about, it talks about righteousness. That truth is righteousness. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm almost out of time here, so I don't have time to go through all the scriptures here. But, we need to write them down, I don't know if you the video, but I, I'm, I'm, the bell of truth, you can tie that into righteousness. Okay? Um, and the second one's easy, the breastplate of righteousness. That's pretty easy to tie down to righteousness, because it's right there for us. You know, it's a breastplate of righteousness. Uh, and there's a whole teaching I can do on that. It's just, it's a, uh, it's a breastplate of righteousness. I can tie that into the breastplate of Aaron and, and, and different things. And by time in our series, I'll, I'll tie some of that in. But it's a beautiful, when you study some of these things, even in the Old Testament, there's a law and things, everything. It's just a beautiful allegory of our righteousness. It's very powerful, it's very beautiful. Um, also, it says that he, uh, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, first of all, I can tie that right into how beautiful are the mountains and the feet of him who brings good news. That good news is the gospel. Tying that connection with Romans 1, 16 and 17, which we've talked about, it's the gospel that reveals righteousness. So this beautiful, this, 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 our shod in our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace is shod in our, shod in our feet with the with the gospel so that we might be fully equipped for every good work. But we need to have a good foundation. We need our feet shodden with this righteousness. We, you know, even going back to the bell of truth, uh, righteousness and truth are the foundation of the strong. We need the truth. This truth that's in Christ that we put off the old man and put on the new man who's created true righteousness and holiness. We need to be girded with that truth. We need to be, we need the breastplate, we need to guard our heart. Why 
Why do you have a breastplate? You want to guard your, your essential organs. Does it make sense? Even when they put on a bulletproof vest, they, it's like an armor. It's like a breastplate. You're pr pr protecting your heart. And, you, and you, we need to protect that. And how do we protect it? How do we guard ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? Righteousness. The belt of truth. That's how we gird our, 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 we need that belt. We need that breastplate. We need our feet shod like a, a soldier, an athlete, shod, ready to, to, to do the game. <clears throat> um, and then the shield of faith. Above uh, all, take the shield of faith, which wherewith ye are able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. There's so many scriptures here, I don't have time to teach on this, but, you know, the, there's a scripture in Romans chapter 10 that says that the righteousness of faith speaks. Faith speaks. And the righteousness of faith, we receive righteousness by faith. Abraham was declared righteous by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. The gospel is revealed, reveals the righteous God from faith to faith. And so there's a lot of scriptures I can go on, but our faith, our faith is, our faith is not in my self-righteousness. My faith is in the gospel that gave me righteousness. Big difference. But that all that revelation by faith is a shield. It's an armor. Because when the enemy tries to wild and throw darts in, and sometimes it's in my my thinking. What I'm believing, what I'm trusting, what I'm relying on, I can't rely on myself. I can't rely on my brothers in, in a certain degree. I, mean, I can't be codependent on one another. I have to trust God. And my faith needs, and where does, where does faith come from? The Word of God. And all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the Word of God is to equip us in righteousness, so we're equipped for every good work. And by the, the Word of God is how we get faith. And we need that shield of faith. And, uh, you know, um, and so, again, it all ties into righteousness. Uh, and then, and lastly, that we have the sword of the, well, we have, you know, we have the, the helmet of salvation. And we've already talked several, several uh, scriptures on that. First of all, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. For therein, and I'm paraphrasing, is the righteous God revealed. How beautiful are the mountains and the feet of him who brings good news, that proclaims peace, that proclaims salvation. It's the helmet of salvation. We need to guard our mind. We need to protect our mind. And a lot of what we're talking about this morning is beholding the mind. We need to protect this. Uh, and then we have, lastly, here, as we have the, uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Well, we already talked about, too, that the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of righteousness. That makes sense? Yeah, I can tie that all in. Um, and if we read Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, uh, God declares Jesus as the Word of God. I'm not going to turn there, but the Word of God is the sword. It's all, again, the, the Word of God is the sword. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So I can tie all these in, and I can expel these with other Scriptures, but I, I think you're getting my point, that all of these elements of our armory are all have to do with righteousness. So the armory and righteousness. Do they have other benefits? Absolutely. That's why there's different there's different pieces in our armory, because they do they have different functions. But all in all, it's all about being grounded and establishing 
and, and girded and, and shodded in righteousness. That makes sense? If we're not trained in righteousness, we're not establishing righteousness, our armory is going to fall apart. It's going to be insufficient. And we need it to distinguish the wiles of the enemy. The enemy is crafty. He's, he's blinding. He's, he's a, he comes as an angel of light. He deceives us. He has the potential to deceive us. That makes sense? But we need to be grounded and established so we can, but not, and not just so we can come against the wiles of the enemy, but it also says, going back up here, that he has, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, our armor of righteousness, as I just said, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all the stand, stand. So that when the enemy is trying to attack you, you don't fall down, you stand. Because you have you are built on the rock of your salvation, the rock of righteousness, and it's a your cornerstone. And uh, so you're not going to be you're not going to be tossed by every wind of doctrine, by every circumstance. I'm not saying everything's always going to be a bed of roses, and I'm not saying everything's just going to be a bunch of agony. But at the same point in time, no matter what comes at you, that we're ready in season and out of season to withstand whatever the enemy throws at us. And we're not just using this armory as defensive, that's part of it, but we also have a sword, we're offensive. And we, no weapons born against us shall prosper. Every word that rises against us, we can condemn because our righteousness is of him. That makes sense. Well, we're instead, and we'll see this, that, you know, when Adam sinned, and sin began to reign, sickness began to reign, and all kinds of things began to reign, and there are addictions and marriage problems and all kinds of strife and things that happened. Well, Jesus, Jesus was able to speak against the storm and speak against the, the fish and the waves and the storm because he was righteous. He has authority. I can tie this all in and I, I get a little ahead of myself and I'll talk, teach on this more thoroughly later. But the reason he has so much authority because he was established in righteousness. He was righteous. And that was his authority. And we'll, we'll use some scriptures a little bit later in our, our series that will talk about how Jesus... When we understand this, it will ignite and quicken our authority. Because our armory will be fully intact. And we don't put an army on just to look cute. <laughs> you know, not, uh, there's some children's song I remember learning in Sunday school about the armor of God. It's not just so for a beautiful song, or whatever the case may be. And, uh, but it's, we are in a war. And we need to fight. And we're the head, not the tail. We're above, not beneath. We are born into victory. We're not trying to obtain victory. We are born into victory. We're not, we're not the sick trying to get well. We are the well resisting sickness. We are not the poor trying to get rich. We are the prospered resisting lack. And whatever the case may be, we have the mind of Christ. We have the wisdom of God. We have the power of God. We have the spirit of God. We have everything that we need in Christ Jesus. Uh, I turned it off, but I should have, let me close with this. Romans 13. Eleven to fourteen. Remember I said that this ties in with Romans thirteen. I'll just read this and I'll close with this. And let me I gotta talk back to the New King James so I sound a little more what I consider normal. <laughs> Instead of King James. And do this knowing 
in the time that now it that now let me read that again and 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 do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Remember when we talked about awake from righteousness? There's an awakening again. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There's that armor again. Not the armor of righteousness. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our armory. That is our righteousness. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And again, you know, there's a lot in here. I'm not trying to get on all this. But that we're going to put on the armor of light. The armor of God. The armor of righteousness. Because it is light. It is this light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That, that we understand. Light shine. you know, light will expel darkness. Light is stronger than darkness. Love is stronger than hate. Life is stronger than death. And we are children of the light. We are the light of the world. And we put on this armor of righteousness so we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work as the light of the world. That's one reason why we call our church Lighthouse Discipleship Center. To be that light. To be that beacon. Uh, uh, to draw people to the light. So we can get and equip them. Establish them in their identity. Equip them in God's word. So that they can fulfill their destiny. Whatever that is. Not everyone's called to be a minister like this. But everyone is called. And actually we go back to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. Which I didn't read. I started with verse 7. But verse 6 says that we are all able ministers of the new covenant. And that's the way I see all of you. If you're in Christ, I see you as an able minister of the new covenant. Do we need to be equipped? Yes. For every good work. We all do. And even those of us who feel equipped, we need to be we still need to be equipped. That doesn't stop. We're disciples. And we're all maybe on a different level in our journey. But we're all on the same journey. That makes sense? Because there's only one way. There's only one road. Uh, but we might be on different levels of that, of that journey. But we're on the same journey. And we are doing this together. We, it's a unity of the faith. Do we all come? It's not so I get there and you don't. It's no, do we all come to the unity of the faith. Of the knowledge of God, the Son of God, to the the full stature of, of Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, we just worship you. I know I'm saying a lot of different things. There's so many things I still want to say. But Lord, what I have said, what we have learned, I pray that you would just continue to reveal to each person. My heart is that each person will be established in righteousness. I don't know what part of the series will catch them and, and, and be quickened. I pray that all of it will. You know, I pray that we continue to progress. We, we see righteousness from different angles so we can see the full counsel of God in this. But Lord, I, my heart is that, including myself, we will all become more established in righteousness. Help us to change the way we think, where we're beholding, and how we're living. We give you thanks for each person here and everyone listening from all over, all over the world. I know people are listening. Thanks for each person. We thank you for salvation and wholeness and healing and provision for everyone. 
We thank you for those who are preaching the gospel in different nations and across the world. And we bless that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. We have people listening from all over the world, almost every continent. Pakistan, uh, India, Africa, uh, Latin America, throughout um, Latin America, even uh, Europe, Asia, we've had people uh, reaching out to us. And, we had, and so that's why I kind of ended the prayer that way, because I know so many people are doing ministry, they're trying to do ministry, uh, by the way. Uh, so we're not just reaching this living room. Uh, we're reaching the world to see them through that. And so we want to get better equipment, and so um, and you can even help us with that. Financially, we're not, I don't ask for that a lot, but you can help us in that direction uh, so we can get uh, more stuff to these people too uh, in better quality. But anyway, have a good day. And those who are watching the game, may the best game win. Those who are not watching the game, come here at 6 o'clock and we're going to have a better game here. So, all right. Okay. God bless you. Bye bye.